Well, in my role, I get to talk to a lot of people. Uh, pastoral care is a, you know, a big part of what we all do, and, and I do quite a bit of it myself. And I want to share with you, I was talking to somebody recently, and they were talking about the influence that people had on their life. Now, I don't share, I mean, I get permission, so I'm not breaking confidence. The person said it was okay to share this. But just how um, much influence and control people had had on this person's life. Way back from a very early age, he said, in elementary school, they remembered working so hard to please everyone. My teachers would call this person the model student. You're the model student. I wish all of my students were this way. But one of the things that they shared I found intriguing. They said, I don't like new things. I didn't like new things even back then. And we explored that a little bit. And what it was, was new things meant that they had to like learn something foreign and they had to get it under control and figure it out so that they could be that model student, right? And it's kind of a theme that carried through this person's life because they wanted to do everything so well, which isn't a bad thing, but you'll see where this goes. And they were told that they had talent, and, but they didn't want to admit it because if they, if they admitted it, then they would have to keep maintain that talent to the levels that their leaders told them that they had it, or, and they'd have to grow that talent. And they wondered if they could do that. Did they have what it takes to actually do that because they want to continue to please their leaders? Pattern continued in college. The professor loved this person. And the, the students and their peers were coming and getting help from them. But another thing that struck me was they never thought they were going to graduate. I, I, did, I don't think they said that I was going to graduate. But yet all of the signs, when you look at the thing, they were going to graduate. They did with top honors. And the thing that was sad was the joy of that graduation was so, so short-lived because all of a sudden they started worrying about the career. I'm going to start a job in two weeks. They said, am I going to be able to do the job well enough to maintain it? And this person sat there and said, I'm tired of surrendering my life to others, wondering if I'm going to be able to live up to their expectations and fearing whether I'll be able to have what it takes to do that. And I sat there and I said, realize this person's been stuck trying to please people their whole life. And they were down, they were dejected, and they wondered if they had what it takes. That's, we're in this series called You Don't Have What It Takes. And over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at truths that both God and Satan want you to know, but they want you to know for different reasons. Last week, Donnie was here talking about you can't, you can't be good enough, the whole performance trap. And today, we're going to look at the truth that you can't please everyone. You can't be, please everyone. And again, God wants you to know it for one reason. Satan wants you to know it for another. And I think that's, so, you, you go, when I say that, that's the truth we're going to look at that's so obvious Right, but I think it's obvious that we forget it. We know it in our head, but it doesn't hit the rest of our being. And for some, 
People-pleasing controls every moment of your life. But when the light comes on in this area, when you realize that you can't please everyone, life starts to change. Satan wants you to know that you can't please everyone. He wants you to know that you need to please everyone and that if you can't, then you're not to feel good about yourself. You can only feel good about yourself if you get the approval of others. That's what he wants you to know. And that person I was talking to, Satan accomplished his mission because that person's focus was on everybody else for their value instead of God's. So Satan wants you to believe you do need to please everyone. God's got a completely different reason and objective for you understanding that truth. And this morning, as we get started, because we're going to be looking at God's Word, I want to get Bibles in your hands. So the ushers are going to be coming down with Bibles. If you do not have one, they'll give you one. It is yours to keep. If you forgot yours, then uh, just go ahead and signal to them. They'll give you one uh, for this morning. You see, God wants you to know that you cannot, you will never, ever be able to please everyone. He wants to call you out of trying to please everyone and instead be free to carry out his will, to live a liberated life, to do what he wants you to do versus trying to please everybody else and trying to do what they want because you were not created to be worshiping everyone. You're to worship him. So he wants you to know that truth so that he can bring life to you. Now, when I was talking about that person at the beginning, you may have been thinking, hmm, am I one of those? Am I a people pleaser? There's different terms. It would call it peer pressure when I was a kid, codependency in the counseling space, people pleaser. It's all the same thing. But you may have been, am I one of those? I want to throw out some characteristics, see if you're a people pleaser. You are a people pleaser if, or you may be a people pleaser if, you are very, very sensitive to the criticism of others. Have you ever been around somebody like that, that even you didn't mean something the way it's not, but they, they perceived it as criticism and they were devastated? The reason this is, if you're a people pleaser, then you value other people's opinion more than you value your own. So your self-esteem starts to fluctuate based on what others think about you. So if they're encouraging you and they're praising you and they're calling you that model student, then you're feeling good about yourself. And then all of a sudden, if somebody says something that seems like it's attacking you, you're, you're down here. So you, you're, you're sensitive to others' opinions. Are you that? That may be a characteristic for you that you are a people pleaser. The other one is you have a hard time expressing your feelings. You see, you're more concerned with what others uh, value about you, that you're more in tune with what they want and what they feel like, that you have a hard time expressing from yourself. What do you want? You don't know. You certainly know what others want, but you have a hard time expressing what you actually want. And then finally, another characteristic is you have a hard time saying no. 
Do you always say yes and have very little margin on your calendar? And here's what's going on in a people pleaser's mind. I can't say no because if I say no, then they may not like me. They may reject me. They may say this about me. So you don't want to say, you don't want that to happen because that's a threat to you. So you end up giving and giving and giving. You have no boundaries, but that's a place for you where you feel safe. So you have a hard time saying no. The quality of a people pleaser's life is in direct relation to those that are around them, the quality of life of those people around them. If they're having a bad day, most likely you're going to have a bad day because you're more in tune with what they feel like. Do any of those characteristics resonate with you? Are you one of those? you have a hard time expressing your feelings? They're always saying yes when you really mean no. I certainly could relate to all of that. That person in the beginning that I said was the counselee, I was talking to somebody, that was me. Many, that goes all the way back to when I was a child. Now, luckily, I mean, at age 30, God dealt with this with me. And I'm, so I'm a lot older than that now. But from a very young age, and this is with Christ and without, I didn't uh, accept Jesus Christ until I was in high school. So there's a period where I didn't know him. But then there was a period where I knew him and I still struggled with this whole thing about being addicted to people. I could stand here and say, I'm Rob Perry. I'm a Christ follower who is recovering from people addiction. Hi, Rob. Hey, Rob. <laughs> but it, it is that powerful. Now, you, you say, wait, wow, you're going way overboard. You're going to the extreme here. Addiction? Doesn't the Bible say to love and to care for one another? Don't you say... Uh, that the church, you know, we're relational beings. God created us in Genesis where man was alone, and so he created. And then in Ecclesiastes, doesn't it say two are better than one, so if one falls, the other can pick him up. Isn't it a theme that's throughout Scripture? Didn't Jesus come and say a new commandment, I give you, love one another? Didn't Paul say, build one another up, encourage one another? Didn't John say there's no greater thing you could do than to lay down your life for somebody like Jesus laid down his life for us? And aren't we to do that? And are you telling me that we're not to do that? No. But what I will tell you is, is that if you're a people pleaser, you are not doing those things for those reasons. And we'll walk through that a little bit. That's not what drives you. There is a much deeper thing that has to do with this God-given need for acceptance. But people-pleasers are looking in all of the wrong places to satisfy those needs. And I say it's like an addiction because it really is. There's this trigger, right? Did anybody know, uh, dealt with addictions before? There is this trigger. You may, whether somebody says something, whether you're feeling something, all of a sudden, you get to this spot where you don't feel right. You don't feel like you're not okay or there's pain in your life, and that doesn't feel good. There is stress. There is anxiety when that trigger happens. And so you start to look for, when I'm in pain, I look for something to get rid of the pain. And with an addiction, you can look in healthy places or unhealthy places. And so there's some sort of response that you're going to do. 
Now, for some people who deal with, they'll take a sip of alcohol. They'll ingest alcohol. You can ingest the praises of people in order to relieve that pain. I learned, it wasn't pain, it was just something that, you know, I, I, I gave my control over of whether I was significant or not to the people around me. And so to get rid of that feeling, I would either learn to move towards somebody to do something for them or to say some words or to be able to perform something such that I get some praise back, all of a sudden I start to feel a little bit better. See that response, you start to feel like things are okay. You also learn to withdraw, pull away, not put yourself in certain situations. And so you start to think, I'm okay. This seems to be working. But just like any other addiction, the relief is short-lived. The, the effect starts to wear off. All of a sudden, all it takes is one criticism. One moment I'm up, and then somebody says something, I'm back down. And I feel that same, the way I did with the trigger. Uh-oh, I'm not right. I, you know, what do I do? Some will pick up a, a drink or whatever it is, food. But that response can become so automatic, you don't even know you're doing it after a while. And you, you get to that point where things are uneasy, there's dissonance, and you say, the only way that I can get better is I need to please others. And what started out as like a desire for human approval, all of a sudden it becomes a demand. I need their approval. So I start to, because you've got the power to bless me. So that's, we think these weird things. I need it. And so here's the rub. When you said, it, aren't we to love and care for one another? Yes. But when, for people pleasers, it's about this. I'm going to love you more for myself than I'm loving you for the glory of God. I'm going to love you more for myself then I'm going to love you for the glory of God. That's where it becomes a big problem because we start to fear people and we start to put them way up high and we fear their rejection and withdrawing their approval from us. And I will guarantee you, when you get to that spot, I know a couple of things. One, people are big in your life in a good and a bad way. You're scared of them, but you love them at the same time. People are big, and I can also tell you that God is very small in your life. If you're a people pleaser, God is small in your life. You see, biblical fear has to do with revering somebody, giving them awe and praise and glory and honor. And with people pleasers, we end up putting people in a much higher position of power and control than they actually deserve. And the Bible calls that fear of man. So we call it people-pleasing, peer pressure, codependency. Fear of man is what you'll look at. When you look at it in Scripture, that's what you'll see. What does God have to say about the fear of man? In Proverbs 29, uh, verse 25, says this, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You know, there are times that we are to be afraid. Definitely times, you know, God put that in us to, I remember a time 
we left here one Sunday afternoon as a staff to go down to Orlando, Florida for a conference. We left late in the afternoon, like 3 o'clock, drove all the way through. I was driving, and it was late at night. We pulled in about 2.30 into the home we were staying. You know, I'm looking in. Everybody's asleep. They should have been asleep. That's a whole other story, like why I was upset that they were sleeping, because I'll go that way in another. But they were all asleep. I thought they were asleep. I pull in. Uh, we have one of those big 15-passenger vans. So I get out. Everybody still looks like they're asleep. Little did I know that Joel had jumped from the back seat to where the luggage was, and he tucked way down, and he was waiting for Rob to come back there and open the door at 2.30 in the morning when he comes out and goes, Rah! and I am halfway up the street, <laughs> and he's, they're all there, huh? after driving for 12 to 14 hours. Um, But I felt scared. There are times when we are to truly be afraid. You see, fear works this way. We perceive uh, legitimate fears, fears when we perceive that this object is present and it's powerful. Now, why I thought Joel was powerful, I don't know. But... um, it's when we perceive the object as present and powerful. That's when we think that there's a legitimate fear. With people-pleasing, here's the problem. You cannot change people always being present. That's always going to happen. I mean, you can't change that. But the problem is, is we perceive that they are powerful, more powerful than they actually are. And we give them more control and more, we give their opinion more value than what God thinks of us. And so all of a sudden, our fear forgets God. In that equation, whenever you fear, whenever God is out of the equation of fear, that's a problem. Our fear should not forget God. And people pleasers give people way too much, or they perceive that people have way too much power than they actually do. And fear that forgets God is a problem. For people pleasers, here's some facts that you need to know. The fear of man and people pleasing, it's a form of idolatry. Now you may be, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's that's way back here, Old Testament. That's, That's where you find idolatry stuff. Well, idolatry is defined as when we give divine honor to a created thing. We can still do that today. And for a people pleaser, all it means is you have put people, you've elevated them to a place that only God should be standing in that spot. But yet we've put, him there, put people there. We've given them this, this control, this power, this sense of awe that we have with them. And when we elevate people to that degree, that's idolatry. We are... We are putting, giving divine honor to a created thing. I understand why it happens. It's much easier to see a person than it is to trust the invisible God. But God says no human should ever be the object of our fear, of our faith. No human should ever be that. Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both both soul and body in hell. 
God doesn't do this just because he wants to mess with you. He doesn't want you not to have idols because he just thinks he knows it's not right. You, you weren't designed to be creating and worship, uh, to be worshiping a bunch of idols, giving divine honor to somebody else. He created you to give him glory and honor and worship. And one another fact about people pleasing is this, and it, this is a reason why it's not good for you. When you are obsessed with what other people think of you, then it is the quickest way to forget what God thinks of you. When you're so obsessed with what people think of you, then you lose track. You forget what God thinks of you and what God's purpose for you is here. It's the quickest way to forget that. Go back to Genesis. God said, let us make man in our image. And then he talks about the jobs we're to have. But that word image, when you go to the Hebrew word and look at that word called salem, it was translated image. Another way that it can be translated is idol. So you can go back and read that verse and say, humans are God's idol. Hmm. Well, people of biblical times knew exactly what idols were. They would go to shrines where they would have these man-made created things. And they would go and worship that idol. They would bring a sacrifice. And they believed this. That idol represented a god or goddess. And so when they came, they believed that when they talked to that idol, that god or goddess heard and would carry out. So that idol represented that God or goddess. So if we are God's idol, the most important thing in your life is that you represent God. You are carrying out his will. And the problem is this. When we make people our idol of choice, what happens? Are we carrying out his will? No. Carrying out everybody else's will. We are God's idol. We are to carry out. We are to represent him and carry out his will. But when we put it, people, as that big, big person in our life, then we just start swaying back and forth. What do you want me to do? What do you think of me? You know, oh, okay, no, but... And you feel that sway. Paul talked about, you know, the, the tossing of the winds and all that. You feel that. And... I remember when I was looking at this passage, I was thinking of when, uh, way back when in high school days, we went, they still have this ride around. It's called the Berserker at uh, King's Dominion. It looks like a Vic, uh, Viking ship. And you get in it and it goes, sways one way, and it sways another way, and then you think you're going to puke and it goes the other way. And it keeps doing that faster. And then it hangs you upside down and you you know, I was staring at my brother-in-law at the time and all of our change is falling out and we're looking like, this is so not right. This is, we shouldn't be like this. And we just start swaying. I thought we were never, I don't go on that ride anymore. We, you just sway and sway. And then what made it even worse was when we got down to the ground, everybody else's bar goes, right? Me and my brother-in-law, the bar went, 
came in and we were stuck on that ride. And I thought I was going to have to, I was trapped and was going to have to go on a whole nother time. I don't, I forgot how it got resolved. I did not have to go again, but I just remembered that experience. And from my own experiences of when I make people my idol, I am all over the map. I feel that swaying in my life and I feel, I don't feel freedom. I feel trapped. And that's why in Proverbs, God says the fear of man is like a snare. It is a trap. A snare is something that entices you away from your real purpose only to kill and destroy you. And that's what God says people pleasing is like. It's a trap. You can fall into traps. Here's a couple of them you can fall into. Uh, You can overextend yourself. That's where I was saying at the beginning, your calendar, your time margin, you've said yes way too many times. And most likely, not only is your calendar full and you've extended yourself, you're probably angry inside too. Because when somebody says, can you do this for me? Will you do this? You're like, yeah, I'll do that. And then under your breath, you're like, why didn't they ask somebody else? There's no way I have time to do this. So there's something going on inside. So not only do you have no time, but you're also angry because you have no time. So you overextend yourself. Then you're easily manipulated by others. You will compromise your values because you want to win the approval of others. So this can happen from a young age to the adults, that you'll compromise your values, whether it's you're going to say something because everybody else is saying something, you won't step up for somebody, uh, drinking, sex, all of that. Instead of taking a stand for your values, you don't do that. You easily compromise your values because you want the approval of others. It's a trap you can fall into. And then the last one is you limit your success. I remember my dad saying to me, and he's, he can vouch, he's here. Um, when I was young, I didn't want, I wanted to perfect things before I did them. It didn't matter whether I was playing music or shooting free throws. I didn't want to do anything new. I wanted to get it right so that I wouldn't let somebody down or they, that I could do it enough that they said that was good. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm being transparent here. But I wouldn't, I would withdraw from things. I talked to you, you can move towards something. Well, you can withdraw too so that you don't put yourself in certain situations. And my dad always would say, you're holding yourself back. Son, you're going to hold yourself back in life. Yeah, yeah, dad, yeah, yeah. But I saw it. I went into the corporate world and, you know, again, I I held myself back. You could look at what I did. Oh, wow, you did so much. Yeah, but I held myself back. God had bigger plans, but I held myself back. So you will limit your success if you're worried about what others think of you. God has much bigger plans. Don't get in the way of that. Trust him. He'll He'll equip you to do those things. When you give people the power and the control for what you think, you feel, that's a trap. Scripture says it is a trap, and you will not feel any freedom. So, you get the point. You're like, I understand. What is the solution to this? How do I break free of people pleasing? Simply, the Bible would say, the fear of God is the antidote of the fear of man. What does that mean? It means, listen, people are big in your life right now and God's small. God's got to be big and people have got to become small. 
That's what it means. Fear of God is the antidote to the fear of man. When you look at scripture, it's a theme that you'll find throughout. Search on the phrase, don't look fear of God, look for fear of the Lord. When you look in scripture, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, understanding. It's a fountain of life. That's what you're going to find when you look at what the fear of the Lord does. It brings life. It makes you live out his purpose for him. You start to represent him and do his will. Solomon, who had everything. He was the king. He had riches. He had people around him and, and, and wisdom. He had all of that. And when you look at Ecclesiastes, read that, that looks at the meaning of life. You have to read all the way to the end. Because if you stop and you'd say, wow, life is meaningless. No, 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 no. You didn't get to chapter 12. Read all the way to chapter 12, verse uh, 13. And here's what Solomon says. Now, all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. You see, God wants that whole, if we're to fear him, he wants not people to be in that spot where we give him praise and honor and awe. He wants himself to be there. Now you say, yeah, okay, fear of, fear of God. Make him bigger. How? How do I do that? Help me apply that. Well, I would say just like any other, let's keep on this addiction thing, an awareness of the problem is the beginning. So I would say, pray. Specifically say, Lord, help me discern the answers to some very pointed questions. Illumine my heart. Shine lights on areas so that I can get answers to these questions. Very specific. And here's the questions you're going to want to ask. But pray and ask God to really let you be honest with yourself and to get the answers to these questions. First one is, who or what do I need? Who or what do I need? Ask yourself that question. Who or what controls you? Who or what do I need? Who or what controls you? And then who or what is the object of your trust? Now, when you look at those, they're all related. Because what you need in life controls you. What you need in life controls you, and what controls you is the object of your trust. That's the thing that is big in your life. What is that for you? All of us have to answer that question. What is so big in your life? What is it you need? Because that's the thing that controls you and you trust in. And God, through the prophet Jeremiah, was talking to the Israelites because they were you know, looking all over to place their trust in different things. In Jeremiah 17, uh, he starts and speaks to them about this very issue of trust. And here's what he says. Verse 5, he says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man. And I would encourage you to read uh, the rest of 5 and 6 because he goes on to, to paint a word picture of what life will look like when you start to trust in man. And then in verse 7, he says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. And again, following that is some great words about a tree that's planted by a stream that will give life. 
That's why in 29, verse 25, he says, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. That word saved, not from troubles, but the original word held high in a place that was hard to destroy. You couldn't. It was well protected. So the verses after that paint that picture. So just like the Israelites, you have a decision. Who are you going to trust? Where is your trust? Are you going to live for man or are you going to live for God? Because God wants you to live for him. He wants to be big in your life. And so for some today, you don't know him. You're not in the family of God. And so he's small in your life. But I tell you what, the fact that you are in this service today means that you're, you're searching after him. And I would say continue that. The biggest thing for you to make God big would be to look at the gift he gave in Jesus Christ. And why do you need him? To st- and when you do that, when you say, I see the person of Jesus Christ and that perfect sacrifice and his blood and my need, and what God wants to hear from you is, I believe you. I need you and I entrust my life to you. Those words will sound different, for, but it's that whole thing of becoming part of the family of God. You see, because living separated from him, which is the state we are in without Jesus Christ, that's not his desire for you. He wants you to be with him. So making God big is a decision for you to say, amen, I want you. But you, you may be saying, but yeah, Rob, you, this whole people-pleasing thing, you said that you knew Christ and you still struggled with it. Yeah. God can be in a very small spot in your life even when you are in relationship with him, when he's your Lord and Savior. Problem is I didn't let him be Lord of that part of my life. And so here's the exercise for you guys. You want to make him big for those where he is small. Read Job 38 through 42 for one month straight. Read Job 38 through 42. Job lost everything. His friends were telling him what to do. And it got to a point at the end where he started asking some questions of God. And all of a sudden, God speaks in 38 through 42. Want to read about some bigness? Read 38 through 42 for one month straight. You see, when you start to fill your heart with the greatness of God, all of a sudden, there's no room for what people think of you. There's very little room to have that be controlled in your life when you're filling it with the greatness of God. You start to be controlled by the truth of God and what God thinks about you. Listen, if you're in the family of God, you are approved. You're reconciled to him through Jesus Christ. There is nothing else you can do. And you start to rest in that truth. And I love how Paul puts it in Colossians 1, verse 21. He says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. See, the, you have the ultimate approval. You've been reconciled. And so you can have a desire to have human approval. Not a demand, a desire. But if you don't get it, you can still say, I'm disappointed that I don't have their approval. 
that they're not going to treat me this way. Or, But I know that I am deeply loved. I know I'm completely forgiven. I know that I'm pleasing and accepted by God through Jesus Christ. I'm disappointed that I don't have that approval. But I rest in the fact that I know my ultimate approval I have from God through Jesus Christ. And you see, when, you, when that truth starts to, the light bulb goes off on that, then you are free. The grip that people have on you opens up and you are free to live that liberated life that God calls you to have. One where you can now represent him. Not rep- represent a whole bunch of other people. Represent him and carry out his will. I found life to be when, when you're worshiping one, the fear of God is a whole lot simpler than the fear of man. It's not easier. Don't get me wrong. I don't, it, is, it simplifies life, and I'm all about simplicity. The fear of the Lord simplifies your life. If you remember anything from this morning, remember, you can't please everyone. Absolutely. But you can please God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your truth. I thank you that um, you broke that power of people in my life. And I pray this morning for those that are are gripped by uh, the approval of others. I pray that today they evaluate uh, who's big, who's big in their life and why, and then they relinquish that. For those that don't know you, I pray that um, that first step of just entering the family and walking in your strength and your truth uh, becomes a reality in their life. They just believe and entrust. Father, I thank you that uh, we can have that freedom. And I pray that freedom for everybody that's here today and they be honest with themselves and move forth from there and they grow closer to you in the process. It's in your son's name I pray.